Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to this week's edition of Extra Time, a podcast brought to you by the sports team here at Radio New Zealand. I'm Clay Wilson and this week we dissect the speculation around who might be the next All Blacks coach and recap league star Sean Johnson's dramatic departure from the Warriors. We also look at the success of the national under-17 women's football team, Brendan Hartley losing his seat in Formula One and we hear from Paralympic star Mary Fisher about her retirement from swimming. Summer may almost be upon us, but two of our biggest codes have featured heavily in the headlines this week. Irish rugby coach Joe Schmidt's announcement that he is stepping away from the game took many by surprise, while the confirmation Sean Johnson is leaving the Warriors League franchise was even more of a shock. Joe Porter and I discussed both topics, and I started by asking Joe about the decision of Joe Schmidt and what ramifications that had with regards to the All Blacks. Yeah, well, we all knew... Joe Schmidt was going to announce this week whether or not he was going to stay with Ireland post the World Cup next year in Japan. Many were wondering whether he'd stay with him or, of course, put his hand in the, or name in the hat for the All Blacks job post the 2019 World Cup where Steve Hansen is expected to step down. Now, we don't know if Steve Hansen will step down yet. He's going to make that decision before Christmas, but it's widely expected he will step away from being head coach. So it was a shock when Joe Schmidt came out and announced that after the 2019 World Cup with Ireland that he would step away from coaching altogether, retiring from coaching. Uh, he says indefinitely, at least for, for, for the foreseeable future, he wants to focus on his family commitments. He's got a, a son who has suffered suffered from epilepsy throughout his life. He had a, a neurological condition growing up and had several operations, um, and that has been a, a constant source of, I guess, stress at times for the family. So he wants to be able to put, put a bit more energy and focus into his family and step away from coaching altogether. A shock for New Zealand fans. Many had him instilled as a favourite to take over from Steve Hansen. And I guess now the favourite becomes probably Ian Foster, the assistant All Blacks coach who is sitting behind Steve Hansen. We know they like to promote from within if they can. It means they don't have to change too many of the structures, including the assistant coaches. So it seems likely now that if Steve Hansen does decide to step away, that Ian Foster will take the role, which uh, many people will will find a bit of a shame because Joe Schmidt with Ireland and his, his 10 years with them or so, fantastic results, three Six Nations titles, a Grand Slam, their first two wins ever over the All Blacks, the first in Chicago and their first ever win in Dublin just the other day. So um, our first ever series win in Australia as well for Ireland. It certainly is, has a remarkable record. The players love to play for him. So disappointing news for New Zealand rugby fans that it won't be Joe Schmidt that takes over from Steve Hansen. So you look at Ian Foster now, guys like Dave Reddy, Warren Gatland who are overseas, Jamie Joseph, and probably Scott Robertson is maybe the best of the local candidates, having led the Crusaders, of course, to two Super Rugby titles in his first two seasons in charge. I guess a couple of things to come out of that. Firstly, Joe Schmidt's still quite young as far as international mm. rugby coaches go. Do you think this is a 
definitive decision. He won't ever be tempted back. And also, you mentioned a few of the other candidates. If he didn't come in and Foster was the favourite, any of those other candidates, the likes of Scott Robertson, the Dave Rennies, are they really serious contenders to take over from Hanson? Yeah, look, uh, in terms of Schmidt, whether or not he's stepping away from coaching for good, I don't think so. I think it is you know, a time away from the game. There's Irish speculation amongst the, the rugby journalists over there that he'll take a year out of rugby after the year, World Cup next year, so it finishes roughly in October-ish, and he'll take the next year off and then come back to coach the British and Irish Lions to the South Africa, their tour to South Africa in 2021, with, of course, Warren Gatlin stepping down after the last tour of the British and Irish Lions to New Zealand. So many think that that's possibly his next move. It may well be that he comes back to New Zealand, takes a year off after the World Cup and shows up coaching a super rugby team, or maybe he decides that his home in Europe is where he wants to be. They've spent a long time in Ireland, and maybe they decide they want to go back to Dublin or London, and he takes up another role there. But I don't think we've seen the end of Joe Smith, the coach. And as far as uh, the, the other candidates go, look, realistically, Warren Gatland, I don't think so. Dave Rennie, probably not either. That's a shame because Rennie had a great record of success at the Chiefs and is another good man manager and, and fits those beliefs of having good people and good men in the environment and the culture to you know, foster that kind of belief amongst the players that no one's bigger than the jersey. Uh, but it seems that he maybe has had a little bit of a falling out, possibly, with the NZR. He's not their favourite candidate. Scott Robertson, perhaps he's a little bit too young. Some would say unproven. He, he did inherit uh, you know, Canterbury and Crusaders sides to work with. However, in his first four years in charge of the, the Canterbury team, he won three national rugby titles, domestic titles. And in his first two years in charge, won super rugby titles with the Crusaders. Now, people say you inherit the Crusaders. They're a great team on paper. And that is true. However... His, the previous coach, Todd Blackadder, had eight years with the Crusaders and didn't win them a single title. So that should put some context into it. And just quickly, Steve Hansen's decision, any line on what he's going to do post next year's World Cup? Look, no one really knows. Everyone thinks just from their gut feelings and from some of the things Hansen's been saying and the way that he's been gesturing and I guess just his posture and everything recently suggests that he probably is going to step down after next year's World Cup. It seems like there's been a little bit of a weight perhaps lifted off his shoulders in that sense when you talk to him about it and his decision that, of course, will be made very shortly. Um, so I think he will step away. There's been reports out of Ireland from a former international that he's, he's spoken to some people in the know and suggesting that Hanson maybe moved into a director of rugby role at New Zealand Rugby and, and his assistant Ian Foster promoted to the head coach's role now. Uh, it's an interesting situation, one I find hard to believe. A, it creates a whole new job ended up and creates a new salary and for an organisation that's not exactly flush with money most years. It also would mean that whoever is the new head coach has to have the old coach as the, their boss and I can't see and Speaking of uh, wanting to work under those conditions, a bit of a surprise so coming out of the NRL the and the Warriors, of course star halfback Sean Johnson asking for an early, re- early release from his contract which doesn't expire to the end of next season. The Warriors were initially balking, apparently, on that request, but quickly ceded to it, knowing that Johnson didn't want to be there. So, yeah, some fairly rapid developments in that case, Clay, and you've been following it quite closely. Yeah, it all developed as a bit of of a surprise before the Kiwis went on their uh, tour to England uh, earlier last month. And I guess what came as a surprise was that the Warriors weren't uh, in a rush to sign Johnson beyond 2019. Now, those that aren't in the know, Johnson was, of course, signed 
to the end of next year's season. Um, but with that message, I guess Johnson went away and he thought about that and perhaps didn't take the news so well that the Warriors weren't so keen on re-signing him. And there was doubts raised over whether the club thought that he was worth the price tag that he's being paid, which is reported to be around a million dollars a season, which, of course, it's a figure reserved for a lot of the elite marquee players. And Johnson was the marquee player in the Warriors salary-wise. So I guess all that news had surfaced and then it all came to a head when Johnson made a social media post earlier this week trying to clear up some issues for his fans, um, saying that the Warriors hadn't made him an offer beyond 2019 and they perhaps weren't going to make him an offer. All of a sudden, um, the next morning, Johnson Johnson and his manager had a meeting with the Warriors and he's asked for an early release. He's obviously not best pleased by the Warriors' um, attitude and the Warriors' thoughts on him in terms of beyond 2019 and decided it was time to get out before his contract was over. So, of course, it left the Warriors in a position where you've got a player there who doesn't necessarily want to be there next year. And um, I think probably the right decision made by the Warriors to let him go. But, of course, for a lot of um, Warriors fans, Sean Johnson has been the face of the Warriors for almost since he made his debut back in 2011. Um, You know, such a star player, a highlight reel type player. So it certainly happened very quickly, um, but it does still seem a little bit bit shocking to think that Sean Johnson's not going to be playing in a Warriors jumper next year. Yeah, and look, when a player like that does decide that they no longer want to be at the club, it does become a fairly untenable position for the likes of the Warriors to keep him. You don't want to keep a player in your culture that doesn't want to be there. It's just going to lead to problems within the team. So they were, I guess, essentially... Uh, had to make that decision. But do you, do you think this is how the Warriors wanted it to plan out? Well, I think the Warriors went into this knowing full well that that's the risk they were taking, that the approach they took from the start, telling him that they weren't necessarily in a rush to, to re-sign him beyond 2019, there was a risk with that approach that they were going to lose in one way or the un- another. So I think the Warriors would have t- started this approach fully aware that that was a risk. Um, did they want to lose him? Maybe not, um, but they certainly, it certainly seems they didn't want to pay him what he'd been paid before, or at least wanted him to prove next season that he was worth that money. Um, but as soon as no- November 1 rolled round, they knew he would be on the, the free market, essentially, and up for offers. So, um, yeah, I think from both sides there's a little bit of disappointment. The Warriors, I think, ideally would have loved to have him next season and probably weren't prepared to go and get pick someone else and replace him for 2019. And Johnson, by all accounts, didn't want to go either. But, of course, um, when you're looking to take a significant pay cut, he probably feels like the club doesn't value him as much as he wanted to. Perhaps you can understand why Johnson wanted to get out early. Yeah, and it leaves the club a little bit short on playmakers for the next NRL season, but with a whole lot more money to spend. So first, let's start with who do you think the Warriors will get to replace Sean Johnson, and where do you think Johnson will land? Yeah, well, the the speculation is that the Warriors are going to look at someone uh, youngish. Of course, their spine, Roger Tuivasa-Sheik, Isaac Luke, and you've got Blake Green, who came over from Australia last year. They're all... Uh, old's not the right word. They're very experienced players now. Even Tuivasa Sheik has been in the in the league for uh, half a dozen years now. So there's a lot of experience in those three members of the spine. Perhaps they can go for some youth. Um, there's speculation of young Parramatta halfback Dylan Brown. I've obviously got young players in their own ranks. Um, and then there's the likes of Parramatta duo Mitchell Moses and Corey Norman, 
Uh, Rumours that they've been being shopped around by Parramatta and uh, very talented players on their day. Um, Are they going to replace Sean Johnson? Well, I don't think Sean Johnson's such a unique player. He's one of those players who, on his day, no one else can do what he does. Um, So I guess we'll wait and see. The Warriors say they've got options, but probably they've been rushed into things a little bit. So let's see how that develops. In terms of Johnson himself, all the money says he's going to go and play at Cronulla. Um, There was initial talk of Canberra, but Canberra have ruled themselves out. And Cronulla do seem the reports out of Australia are that that's where he's going to land. Yeah, it will be interesting to see whether or not they try and push Tuivasa Sheik up into the halfback's role at some point during the season if they're not quite going so well. It is a big call, either way you look at it, whether or not they were forced into it or whether or not they came about this decision by design. It's a big call for the Warriors and Stephen Kearney. They've made the top eight, scraped in this year. If they lose that progress and come, what, 14th, 11th next year without Sean Johnson, he will be calling for Kearney to go. Yeah, there's no doubt it's a huge call. You're absolutely right. But I guess um, the Johnson doubters perhaps would argue that even with Johnson in the team, the Warriors perhaps mm-hmm. weren't going to be an NRL Premiership winning side. So, yeah. you know, that, if that's the ultimate goal, then why not make that decision now? Certainly new CEO Cameron George hasn't been afraid to make hard decisions so far. This is definitely the biggest of the decisions he's had to sign off on. Um, but he he made it clear when they made the, the announcement on Wednesday that uh, that they weren't afraid to make the decisions that were in the best interests of the club and the team. Um, so clearly they're they're ready to move forward and think that they can they can still go on and achieve their ultimate goal, which of course is to win that first NRL title for the Warriors. Keeping the core of the under-17 side together will be crucial to success at future Football World Cups, says Football Fern striker Sarah Gregorius. The under-17 New Zealand women's side will play off for third place at the World Cup in Uruguay this weekend after losing to European champion Spain in the semi-finals. But they have gone further than any other national team at a FIFA tournament by making the final four. Gregorius, who's currently with the national women's side in New Caledonia, competing at the Oceania Nations Cup in a bid to qualify for next year's World Cup in France, says the under-17s have been an inspiration and shows the future is bright as long as the players aren't lost to the game. We've been absolutely captivated by it over here, you know, just to watch the journey and that's what's so cool about these sorts of tournaments is always a story that emerges and New Zealand has sort of been the story for this one and it's just been unbelievable we're so proud of them what what do you think it means for new zealand football for 2023 come that that world cup how how does success at that under 17 level translate on the the bigger stage i think when you get a bubble of talent and a bubble of success you sort of have to work really hard to try and keep the core together and keep the essence of what makes that certain group special you know, we do have a bit of an issue retaining players, particularly as they leave their college and teenage years. I think there's got to be a lot of work done to make sure that those players remain in a really supportive environment that meets their needs. And, and I fully believe if, if that can be achieved and you can build on what they've already got and the taste of success that they've now got, we're going to be in a pretty good place come 2023 and even 2027 into the, the longer term future as well. They've still got a, a playoff for, for third place to go. How difficult is it to come back from that semi-final loss? Or, or is it the fact that they've gone so far and further than people expected and, and third would still be such a huge achievement? Is that what, What's the balance there? I, I actually don't think it'll be a problem for them to get up for, for the last game. I think that you know just the opportunity to play 
so much football together over the course of the tournament. You know, we've never had a team be involved for, for this long and to have the opportunity to play in every single round. So I think the girls hopefully will just be able to be really proud of their achievements and, and play with, the, you know, a reasonable amount of freedom. You know, those games tend to not be as pressurised as perhaps the final would be or even the semi-final perhaps was for them. So hopefully they can just enjoy it and play with freedom and, and almost have it be kind of a celebration of, of how far they've come. And, and you know, it might be their final game together for a wee while, that particular group. So I hope that they can just enjoy it and soak up the atmosphere and the occasion and, and yeah, just really strut their stuff like we know we can. Uh, you've got your your big game coming up. Things have gone pretty straightforward. Um, the final going to go the same way, you hope? Well, I hope so. We've played Fiji in the group stage, and we've got them again in the final on Saturday. So we sort of know what they're about, but at the same time, they know what we're about, and we can't kind of take anything for granted. But so far, it's, it's gone exactly according to plan. You know, the girls have been really professional and we're here to do a job, and even though the environment's beautiful, we're not distracted by that. Uh, we're here to get a ticket to France next year, and it's all going to plan. So final step in the in the journey this weekend, and, and hopefully it books us a ticket to the, the main event next year. Can't wait for that. Do you feel as though you're sort of developing a, a style, a new style, or is it where, where are things at, do you feel? I think we are sort of getting to a point where we're understanding time a little bit better, having spent the time, obviously having the games together under his leadership, but also the training environments as well and, and what he's put us through. But with these sorts of games, it's he's producing a few of the blowout scorelines. It's not completely, I wouldn't say relevant, but it's, it's not probably what we're going to face when we play some of the more top-tier nations. So... It's a little bit of like just getting used to each other. We've got a few new faces in the group, getting used to Tom and his style and, and um, him getting used to us as well and seeing the potential in the group and how he believes that we can move forward. So I think rather than sort of creating a playing identity, it's more just like a sense of familiarity with each other. But in terms of the on-field stuff, it's, it's a little bit difficult in this sort of tournament and this sort of environment to really kind of embed a philosophy or a playing style that we would use against some of the you know top 20 nations in the world. Football fern striker Sarah Gregorius there, speaking to sports editor Stephen Hewson about the success of the national under-17 women's team. Brendan Hartley's sacking from Formula One this week didn't come as a complete surprise after he struggled in his first full season in the competition. Hartley, who picked up just four championship points this season with Toro Rosso, has lost his seat to the Thai British driver Alexander Albon. Local motorsport guru Bob McMurray, who spent four decades with McLaren, believes Hartley still may have some sort of future in Formula One. McMurray told Barry Guy that he was also a little surprised by the promotion of Albon. Yeah, Alexander Albon is, well, he's a new driver, and um, and clearly uh, Red Bull, Toro Rosso have faith in him that he's able to do the job. I'm not totally convinced that he's that good a driver, but nonetheless, that's not the point. The major point is that Brendan Hartley has lost the drive. Um, and it is very disappointing, but after, I suppose, the results of the season gradually did not necessarily improve against his teammate, Pierre Gasly, then it was kind of on the cards that Brendan was going to have difficulty keeping the seat for 2019. 
Um, and I think it is not unexpected news that we heard today that uh, he has lost that drive. Uh, I, I, yeah, it's a simple, simple equation. You have to beat your teammate, who is the first of your opposition, and Brendan has not successfully done that on, um, on most occasions this year. So, yeah, sadly, it wasn't totally unexpected to hear that news. I remember talking to you uh, when he first started, and you said he, he had uh, Brendan Hartley had a good way of communicating with engineers and mechanics and feedback and those sorts of things. And um, but you know, again, uh, that's that's not enough. No, uh, and perhaps that's been a very good um, um, thing for him during this year because it has been a difficult year as the new Honda engine was assimilated into the team. Um, the the main team, Red Bull, next year are using that Honda engine. So it is some a little bit of a surprise to me that he will be leaving completely. I would have thought they would keep Red, uh, Brendan Hartley on as a test and development driver for uh, Toro Rosso Red Bull combined so that he can uh, help develop that engine and that car for next year. Um, I would think they would, uh, or any team, would desperately want to keep Brendan Hartley on their books, even Williams or McLaren, to help uh, develop a car. But um, as I say, you know, Formula One is a is a fairly cruel sport. There's only 20 drivers that will compete each weekend, um, and despite all the the words that people say that you've got to have millions of dollars to get in there, that's not always the case. Every driver in of those 20 drivers is there on as much merit as anybody else. They deserve to be there. And uh, Brendan certainly deserved to be there, but he has a huge amount of knowledge and a huge amount of experience stored up in um, in his comparatively young years uh, that would be, I think, an asset to almost any Formula One team. You think North America may be an option? I, I think it, it may be an option. He was um, he was lined up for the drive with Ganassi as uh, Scott Dixon's teammate just before the uh, the news that he'd been taken up by Toro Rosso or Red Bull again for this season. And in fact, I believe he'd signed a contract with, with Ganassi for IndyCar Racing. So it is quite likely that um, that could be an option for him there. But there again, at this time of year, as is Formula One now, a lot of the seats are filled. So he will be... Um, he'll have to uh, find a seat in wherever he goes because a lot of... Uh, a lot of seats in a lot of the formulas are already filled up for next year. Uh, I'm not sure that sports cars necessarily is the way for him to go because uh, the the top sports cars, um, the Le Mans cars, Porsche no longer takes part in it. It's basically only Toyota, and they've definitely filled all their seats uh, for the for the LMP1 game. But there are other cars uh, that he could drive in the Le Mans series or, or something like that. So by no means um, is he looking at blank walls all the way around. There are options. It depends what he wants to, what he wants to do, I, I guess, because uh, he must have a lot of credibility. In fact, I'm sure he has a huge amount of credibility with almost any other formula that he chooses to go into. Motorsport expert Bob McMurray talking to Barry Guy. Paralympic gold medalist swimmer Mary Fisher is retiring from the sport. Fisher won gold at the London 2012 Paralympics, setting a world record and winning three other medals, two silver and a bronze. The 25-year-old went on to set another world record and win gold at the Rio 2016 Games. Born in Lower Hutt and raised in nearby Silverstream Upper Hutt, Fisher first took up competitive swimming at the age of nine and made her international debut in 2007.
Fisher is well known for her work as an advocate around disability and environmental issues and is a part-time volunteer and recreation coordinator at the Blind Foundation. Distance study through Massey University enabled her to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree and she's currently taking postgraduate psychology papers and learning te reo Māori. She spoke to Jo Porter about why she's called time on competitive swimming and what's next for her. I've decided that now's the right time to yeah, sit away from racing because you just have to be 100% not only physically and mentally committed, but you have to just have this bright internal drive and want, which I just feel I don't have at the moment because I've, I've ticked everything I could possibly have dreamt of and there's all these other exciting, really important things kind of clamouring a bit for my time, including access matters and you know, there's lots of New Zealand environmental issues and how you know New Zealand is, is um, represented on the world stage, kind of. So all of those things, I feel I'd be better putting my time and energy into. So obviously uh, you've had a number of career highs, I suppose, but mm-hmm. what, what do you consider, I guess, the sort of greatest moment if you had to pick one? The best moment, one of the best moments of my life, definitely the highlight of my, my sports career, has been hearing the words, Mary, you got the gold, you broke the world record, in London 2012 my final race I was the last Kiwi to be competing and it was thousands of people that got me to that point and just the perseverance that my family had instilled in me it wasn't because I was a great swimmer when I started out at nine years old or anything I was just this kid from Upper Hutt and suddenly because of this community and the right nurturing of my attitude it meant that I could achieve that and that's what I really want to and still in especially kids with disabilities but, um, that know that it's okay to be you. If you have a passion, just go for it. Don't worry about what other people think. How do you go about, I guess, maintaining that message of inspiration now that you're stepping away from the racing side of things? I will always want to be involved in New Zealand outdoors things. So there's always challenges to be had. I definitely want to swim to Soames, Machu Soames Island in the middle of Wellington Harbour this summer. But yeah, there's you know there's the Cook Strait and there's always things to be achieved. But also in other parts of my life, there's um, the Access Matters campaign, which is pushing for accessibility legislation, which would just be an improvement for all New Zealanders, no matter if you're one of the one in four who has a disability or not. And I'm also organising Ōtaki Summer Camp, which is a camp for young people over the summer who are interested in politics and ideas and discussions in nature. So yeah, I I will definitely be busy enough. And um, and it's important to, for me to acknowledge that there's, this has been the biggest thing in my life for so long and it's going to be a pretty large transition process. But, um, but also I have such wonderful people around me and I'm really thankful and understand that I have a lot of privilege. So I just... Yeah, need to acknowledge that in myself as well. Mary Fisher speaking to Joe Porter. And that's all we have time for in this week's edition of Extra Time. You can send any feedback through to us at sport at radioNZ.co.nz. And to keep up with all the latest in sport, check us out on the web at radioNZ.co.nz forward slash sport and give us a follow on Twitter through our handle at RNZ Sport. I'm Clay Wilson, enjoy your weekend and we'll catch you next week. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.